the Pediatric Lounge, a podcast taking you behind the door of the Physician's Lounge to get a deeper insight into just what docs are talking about today. From the clinically profound to the wonderfully routine and everything in between. Well, hello again, and this is your host, Dr. Herb Bravo. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing my co-host, Dr. George Rogu. We taped this episode while George was traveling through Italy, and at this instance he was in Rome in front of St. Agnes Church. This show will be about practice redesign, as George and RBK went through the process of redesigning not only their physical facility, but much of their process as they moved into their new office. This will also be our 48th show this year, but not the last one that we tape. We hope you tune in next year, and until then, we wish you a happy new year's for 2023. May it be a safe year, full of health, love, and cheer for you, your family, your staffs. And we will try to continue to tell the stories of great pediatricians, people trying to help pediatricians, people trying to teach pediatricians across the Americas as we take care of children one at a time and make this world a better place. See you at the next episode. Hi, George. Where are you today? Hey, our Bob made now Italy again. We have one more day and then we're done. Maybe we'll do another podcast. I don't know. We're still in Rome, but I'm classy but I'm also the hotel. So it's a nice Italian background, virtual, real virtual background. What's the church behind you a little bit? I guess it would be to your right. And it's actually, when you say when it's cool, it's Santa Agnes. Oh, wow. Saint Agnes. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about today? Today, I think we should talk about practice transformation and culture of the office. And why do we have to transform a practice if it's already making money? You know what? First, you have to go by what the definition of practice transformation is. You know, if you were just to spew out a, a definition, you would think, you know, just making everything electronic. And that's your practice transformation. But it's a little bit more than that. It's practice culture change. Obviously, infrastructure and technology change, patient access change. It's basically restructuring the way you did everything. And the reason that you have to do it is because if you don't, then you're going to be yesterday's news. Like nobody's going to do anything. When you transformed your practice, was the physical space the main driver? Because you'd gotten so big, you didn't fit to the old space? Well, you know, the old space had what? 58 years. And after we moved out into your new location, I went to my partners and I said, geez, how did we get away with this for so long? Because, you know, it was built in 1962, 63, where you know, there was a circle, rooms all around. That model isn't working. And we had a terrible parking space. But, you know, now when you, when you they build it out fresh, you can build it out the way it's supposed to be with lots of rooms centralize the laboratory where all the action is, the laboratory, the doctor's office, the nursing station, the vaccine drawing stations. So it's people to move it around too much, make it more efficient. So let's, let's talk just about the physical transformation today, because I think culture is a whole other subject. Right, right. But, 
but where did you start? So you, you decided the old space was not meeting the needs of the physicians, the staff, or the patients. And so where did you start after that? Oh, you know, we had the opportunity to move one of our offices into a big medical barn-like complex within, you know, a hospital system. Yeah, we are still private. We rent space from them. So we took over about 4,000 square feet. And with their help and their design, their architects, we designed a office flow that we thought would work for our office. My idea was centralize all the activity, centralize the doctor's office, centralize the nurse's station, the laboratory, like in the middle of the thing, and all the rooms were all around there. So we can lab quickly. And the very interesting thing that we did in the transformation was a waiting room. We got rid of the waiting room, believe it or not. With office practicum, they have this feature where you can, you know, text when the room is ready. So they just basically wait and wait in the parking lot. When the room is ready, we just text them and they come on in. You know, the hospital system did have a, like, a general waiting room where everybody could use it. But I figured it's not nice to have, like, kids bouncing all over the chairs and vomiting and then sick. You know, the security guards couldn't handle it. So we made a little bit of a sub-waiting room, which is basically just an area where the nurse will greet you and they'll let you in. Okay. Very few chairs. Very few chairs. And then, so... I don't know if everybody knows this, but location is key. So your location was driven by the opportunity to take over this office space that worked well for you. Well, when you move an office, it's very, very important. You cannot move too far. You can't go far east, west, north, or shot south more than a couple of miles because you're going to lose all your patient base. We were very lucky. They were down the street about three quarters of a mile. So it was like not even moving. The only thing that it did was increase my need to work a little bit. But it's not going to be there. And then because you're pediatrics, you were looking for a first floor space? We had first floor space. It's just walk-in space. It was a huge monster parking lot. I could be owners of parking space if you wanted. Parking is not an issue. Where in our old office, parking was always an issue. It was terrible parking, not enough space. It was on a hill. I think it was the main reason why patients would not come to us because of parking. Now, if you got rid of that problem, they're just coming parking them over the button. Yeah, real estate people have a, a metric for retail, and I'm not going to quote it properly, but it's something like three, three spaces per a thousand feet or something like that. And, yeah, but and if we, you we don't, didn't, we didn't do that math. But you really need a lot of parking spaces when you're a pediatric office, because there's a lot of people coming and going all day. Correct. Equivalent to what a mall uses. Otherwise, you're, you're correct. No mommy wants to be going around and around and around waiting for a parking space to open while the baby's crying in the backseat. Great. Did you get outside signage or is that part of, did you consider that important or not? Well, it used to be important when we were at the old facility. That was our building, so we were able to put out our sign. When you go in and rent space from like a medical mall-like complex, the signage outside is not the possible. So we did have some issues with patients finding us. They would all go to the old office. You know, they call up saying, hey, we're not there. What happened? And we have to guide them to the new office. You know, I actually had to do a, a video where I actually went into the parking lot and recorded a video of me driving out of the parking lot 
down to the place and showed them where the new place was so they could figure it out because we were losing people right and left. You know, when the practice has been around for so many years, 58, 59 years, it became a staple in the community. So people know that we're there somewhere. But the signage is a problem. Yeah. So do you have display windows? Like windows yeah, that are... No, we don't have any windows. That's another negative when you, when you rent from somebody. It's like buildings, 500,000 square feet. We only occupy 4,000 of them. You know, we have the first suite, which the parents don't have to walk too much, but we don't have any windows. But it's okay. Here, the uh, building code's so tight. If you're in a 500,000 square foot building, only if you lease a whole floor will you get signage. Correct. Um, Correct. And, but sometimes you have a window and you can put, you know, lit signs on the window so people can see you. Well, yeah. when you were designing the office with these architects, how many exam rooms per physician did you calculate were needed? Well, we built it out with the idea of working three doctors with the idea of having four doctors a teacher. I thought in a year or two, that future came within six months. So that would be up a force where each doctor has to be rooms. They can't work out of one of So you have 12 exam rooms. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And are the physicians sitting in what I call a bowl altogether, or do they all have their private offices? Well, that was another very important transformation that happened in our office. All right. The, the standard way of doing it is, you know, everybody gets their own consultation room and they sit, but that just exaggerate that silo make. So we took out a section where we, we put doctors' workstations and everybody's in the same office. So we get to speak to each other. I know about everybody's kids, birthday, their parties, who's sick. Who's, I know everything about everybody, you know? Whereas if I lived in my own office and I knew people within their office, I wouldn't even know their names. So I think that was a very, very thing. Well, we did our major renovation in our South Shore office, which was basically just with the facelift, we had individual offices in there. And what happens is we just took out some more space, opened out, and we were not able to make a big doctor's office. So everybody's getting stuck in their own consultation or back to the old silos. The whole day, I don't see anybody. Do you have any consult offices in case you wanted to talk to a parent? We, we do have a consult rule where it started out as a consultation rule. Uh, Dr. Riley ended up taking over for his pediatric weight management program. Okay. Um, and do you have that? And do you have a telemed room? The telemed was always a problem. We, we learned that with the home office telemed is popular because we just put cameras onto the computers. So when we put the new office and we had to put new computers in the, exam- in the examination rooms, it was only the right thing to do. So I got these computers, these Dell. In one. So basically, had the monitor, the speakers, the camera built into the monitor. It's all in one. Just push the button. So every example has telemedicine. And okay. the doctors also telemedicine. So there's never a lack of a telemedicine. Yeah. Okay. And then you put a computer in every room. Correct. And yeah, why is that? Are much better. Because it's efficiency. I mean, Wi-Fi is Wi-Fi. It doesn't work well. It's false. You know, I, I think we don't want to tinker with, oh, the Wi-Fi is not working. The doctors can't do their notes and everybody gets upset and everybody gets behind. We just plug the hard wire, everything up to the server. There's always a standard. 
hard wired connection and never goes down. Okay. Well, I do all see all this is on all this practice is on the cloud. So just basically, we don't even need heavy duty computers to run it. When I'm doing my locums, I see a lot of offices where there are no, there are no computers in each room and you got to go back to the doctor's office to key in everything. Correct. And it drives me nuts because I don't like the patient to leave until I sent the script out. Correct. And so I have to go back to the desk and, you know, write the script. And then by the time I come back to tell the parents, okay, it went through, it's at your CVS, they've already left mm-hmm. and I don't get to give them the instructions. And it just, I, I want to pull my hair out. It's and it, a matter of efficiency. They do it like that because they don't want to spend money on computers. But they but lose money got, on the, on you the long You got to spend run. money to make money. Yeah, you got to right. spend money to make money. Do you have a special room for newborns and infants? We try to segregate sections of the office for more of newborn care and well care and the non separated office sections of the office, the clean side and the dirty side. You know, we used to work, you know, Dr. A would work one, two, three, Dr. B would be four, five, six. We no longer need that. So we tend to bounce around. So I think that did was that increased the efficiency also because instead of you know, you know saying, well, Dr. Logan's rooms are like the patient then, they'll just take over another room that's free. It could be number 15. And I'll catch up and eventually make it 15. The people are no longer, we never have the, I don't have a room problem anymore. All right. And then you have a separate area for your lab and then a, another one for your vaccines? Oh, we have an area for the labs and the vaccines and another area for the nurses where they congregate to fill out forms. They can write their notes, they can put data, things like that right across from the lab. So the nurses needed a section where they could sit down and do things. Where in the, the old office, everybody was in one area. You're drawing, you're writing, you're sitting, you're taking blood. They got messy, so we split it up a little bit. And why do you separate the lab from the vaccine space? Because with, with, with the vaccines, you have to be very, very careful. Write the right, correct lot, the right vaccine. We don't need any distractions. Yeah. I've always thought that it's also not hygienic to yes. be drawing vaccines right next to the strep test or the urine sample. Sure. And right. it drives me nuts when I'm in an office and they have one room where they do everything. It's like, that's just, that's not good patient care to me, even if you just have a little for the vaccines. And then what kind of refrigerators do you have for your vaccines and why is that important? Well, they have these special refrigerators with called monitoring systems to make sure that the temperature is stabilized so it doesn't fit with the vaccine. The refrigerators, the vaccine temperature goes up and down. And it can spoil the vaccines. So we have it set up with a monitor system that if the temps deviate from the norms, we get a text message saying, hey, there's a problem. And it's usually a problem with somebody that's a door open. Do you have a backup generator for them? or The building does. Okay. We don't have it, but the building does. We, we, we got lucky with that. Yeah. Some people still keep their vaccines on one of those small refrigerators, which absolutely don't hold the even temperature, no matter what you do. Yeah, that's supposed to be a temporary use. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. And you told me how you marketed your new space, right? You did a video and you showed people how to get from the old office to the new office and the process of construction and everything. Oh, we did videos like every week. We would like just record. I'd walk through the office and just off the hip, just record, you know, here's the office, the walls are up. 
computers are in, the furniture is in, the colors are pink. And we send it out to all the patients of the little newsletter with the link. So people were excited. They saw the transformation occur. Transformation occur. And so when we were ready to go live, of course, we had to do a go live video and sent it out to everybody to tell them, you know, we went live. Here's everybody's working. This is the first day. This is the first patient. So that's how we got the message out. And then I did hire a professional marketing company who came in, took some pictures, they did a write up, and they shared it uh, with some kind of algorithms on Facebook. Saw it, and I would get languid. But I don't understand. I've never seen any of these videos or any of these posts that you guys say you did for us. You know, every day. I said, yeah, but you're not our demographic. That's why you're not seeing them. And I did hear from people that did see them on Facebook and other places. And we did that for a couple of months. And then I started to realize that you know what, we don't need it anymore. So we, we pulled the plug up. How did you keep some of the old DNA into the new office? And that was very interesting. We had these old pictures that were painted by hand by some patient back in 1972. So you can see the years, and they were all Mickey Mouse, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland. They were just on the hallways, different sides, these paint, hand painted pictures. And in the old corridors that was small, they looked kind of ugly. Put out a survey to the patient, that's them, do you think we should get rid of these pictures? And we said, absolutely not, because I remember these pictures when I came with my, as you could be office. So we brought that in, and we displayed them in the waiting, the small waiting room that we have, and they looked so nice when they're displayed properly. But when you just hung on a small wall, it was like terrible. Okay. And how about pictures of the kids and the practices? So that since 1960, there must have been a lot of pictures of kids. Yeah, we didn't have, you know, our officers, we didn't have the, the kid thing but we did have in our secondary office on the south shore where where you know we did with the video with dr raymond when he was a solo practitioner we brought his office into the bayshore location that we built out that was renovated the one that i told you that had individual consultation arms yes and basically we had pictures every year thousands of thousands of children all over the place so i went up there and i just took a snapshot picture I made like five frames of them. We'll call them Dr. Raymond's children. It's like two weeks to Dr. Raymond. So the patient that came from that office to this office was like a little homage down. You met Dr. Raymond. a great guy. Yeah, I, I, I love that story. I really yeah. love that story. Yeah. I think yeah. people forget to respect their elders. Yep. And, you know, learn the lessons they want to teach us and not forget them. And doing that, you know, kind of keeps that in the DNA of the practice. How about the decorations? Did you go out and spend $5,000 per room? No, we did not. I just got some frames from our local Michael store that are pretty colorful. And I got some a poster place and we got a whole bunch of Disney wall art. Yes. I just put them into the frames and put them on the walls and each room is a designated Disney theme. It looks great. It was interesting because I was reading Cliff James' book on practice management. Right. And he says he spent like two or three thousand dollars on each exam table, and that's money really well spent. Yeah, I always thought you know people don't really care that much about the exam table with an accent wall and some pretty paint, you know, some pretty paintings or hang wall hangings, and a clean office is what they want. Yeah, that's really all they want. Clean mm -hmm. office access, it looks good. It's fantastic. And did you put TVs in every room? 
or in the little in the little waiting room? We don't have any TVs. No TVs. And no TVs. is can the patients access your Wi-Fi through a separate network? Maybe we set up a separate patients. But like I said, Wi-Fi is good. It's bad. It's it's a nuisance. I, I it never works. But in these videos, I'm thinking that the Wi-Fi stable before it's going home. Yeah. But what else did you plan for when you redesigned the office and moved? What we planned for? We planned for the world. You know, by, you know, having the extra rooms, but we grew a little too fast. So now we're already on the fourth doctor. Well, we get new young doctors when they come in to interview, they say, wow, this is private practice. I got medical students that come in and they say, wow, this is what private practice does. I've never seen such a thing. Or you have to have a happy atmosphere. You have to have, um, you know, people have to get along. The doctors have to be nice to the staff, to the patient, to each other. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's the culture change, which I can say is a totally different topic in itself. We innovate as we go along. So I, you know, I rarely plan. You know me. Mm-hmm. From the hip most of the time, you know, we, we've been doing COVID tests. We've been doing complete blood counts, prep tests, and then we've already felt cultures, mono tests. You know, what the future will hold, I bet you. Pretty soon, we're going to be doing those rapid respiratory viral panels in the office. Yeah. You know, right now, I don't think they'll be in reverse, but they will be soon. And once that happens, we're going to get it. Yeah. Now, you still do CBCs? You have the, the Coulter machine? Uh, we have a complete CBC. Well, different everything. One of those emeralds. Yes. And you know, we're, we're at the lab, well, lab card. They're going to be opening up a drawing station in the hospital system. So patients will make it to the lab, supposed to go on a page, piece of paper that they're supposed to go to the lab sometime, and most of the time they do that. If they're in the building, we just change their, their workflow and tell them, you know, go to the lab or, you know, after you check it, go to the lab, put your blood drawn, your arms up. You better care of that. And we're going to be, uh, there, there are interfaces with the lab, but they're very, very clunky. It'll always work, and you don't always know where they're going to go. So if you limit it to one company, easier to control how much. How often well, do you think? How often, other than checking for the hemoglobin, like on the sick side, you don't, you hardly ever do a CBC. And CBCs are basically going to place the COVID test. But you, know, you still do it as a checkup on a little, if you got to do a CBC in a lead and a 10-month visit, like a two-year visit. So it's one of the quality metrics, the lead test. So if you're going to do a lead test, you're going to get a CBC too. So we're doing it for welfare a lot. What else? Surprised if they're sick. I mean, we found a couple of IPPs in the office, some key mix in the office in the CBC machine. It does help, like, you know, they come in the neck pads. You do a CBC, you know it's not like anything in the bad thing. Or if they have joint pain, leg pain, growing pain. Yeah, you could tell them it's growing pain. But, you know, I read somewhere that it could be a leukemia. You do the CBC, tell them it's negatives, off they go, they're much happier. Well, it doesn't cost a heck of a lot. Really, it's it's not expensive anymore. It used to be rocket science, but not anymore. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know I know I paid almost fifty thousand dollars for a culture machine. And the, that, that, that expensive. That thing was clunky, you know, it just yeah. It, it, yeah. it just had a lot of little hoses that would get plugged up plugged up all the time. Yeah. And yeah, they're, they're not like that anymore. They're not like that anymore. Yeah. It's changed. Yeah. Oh, what else do you want to tell us before we let you back on your vacation and your good eating? Yeah. Well, you know, private practice is 
still a viable job description. You just have to want it. You have to just earn it. And you have to just do it, basically. You can't expect patients, you know, throw up a shingle and they'll come to you. It's not going to happen anymore. If you do good quality medicine, you know, then the patient will come and they'll start talking to each other. And, and if you're accessible and easy access, clean place with good technology and great doctors, that's your recipe for success. And staff, don't forget the staff. The the staff, is staff assistants and nurses, um, front desk. And oh, also, I forgot to tell you about our, our centralized call center. Our, you know, a lot of people come in and they say to us, how come the phones don't ring in this place? Because we have a centralized call center because we're not this practice. I don't need to have all the secretaries and duplication of services in each office. I put them all into our old off, our old the medical office, which we own. So we're paying rent. And the computer is in there and the billing is in there, the administration is in there. Everything that's money and phone is in there. And the care coordination is in there and managers are in there. So they're totally separate from the clinical. So anything that happens in the buildings and the medical offices, strictly clinical, no money. Makes everybody much happier. Yeah. Separate the money from the clinical. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Easy to do. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, this has been great. Love the view. This is a nice shirt yeah. you're wearing there. Thank you. Thank that you. is a beautiful view. Yeah. It's a, it's a real. Yeah. It's These awesome. Italian, Italians look nice place. Italian. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Thank you. We'll let, we'll let you go and enjoy the vacation and we'll see you soon back in New York and New York again. Yep. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Pediatric Lounge. On the show notes, you will find links to our co-host and other important notes as well as a timetable of the topics discussed today. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a great review as it helps us greatly. In the meantime, we will see you next week. The Pediatric Lounge. The conversations are not intended as medical advice and the opinions expressed are solely those of the host and the guest.